Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name is Tom Ravlick and thank you for joining me for this podcast. One of the great problems, and I get one of my great annoyances in the area of financial literacy, is how we grapple with the notion of tax law um, and any law really that impacts on finances and how people understand uh, the operation of those laws. In particular, uh, one of the things that grates with me, and I know it grates with some people I've dealt with over the years, is the manner in which the ATOs, the Australian Taxation Officers, uh, tax transparency reports are covered by the media and used by others um, in the context of seeking to make large companies pay more tax. Uh, do we need a greater level of civics education throughout the education system? Do we need a greater education in in degrees across the board uh, in relation to some uh, essential financial concepts? Well, joining me today is Professor for Economics at RMIT, uh, Sinclair Davidson, who's going to explore these issues and also the government's most recent announcement related to changes to the way in which courses are, are funded by the government. Sinclair, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me, Tom. Uh, absolute pleasure. Now, I, I, if we can briefly explain to the, the listeners tuning into this what the tax transparency report from the ATO does, um, because not everybody will understand that the, the format of that report doesn't tell them everything they need to know. So many years ago, there was this, this concern in the community that somehow large corporations weren't paying their legally obligated tax liabilities. And so the, the, the government got the ATO to produce an annual report whereby the ATO would set out how much uh, revenue and how much income companies had earned and how much tax they had actually paid. Now, at the time, there was a bit of a debate as to how useful this report would be, because a lot of people argued, and quite rightly as it turned out, a lot of people argued that there wasn't enough understanding in the general community as to how corporate income tax works, or company income tax works, as it's called in Australia, how corporate income tax works, and so that this report would add more confusion and more heat to the to the debate than actual light. And I think as people suspected at the time, and as it's come to pass, this is exactly, uh, in fact, what has happened. We Every year, the, the, the ATO tax re- uh, transparency report comes out, and we get in some segments of the media the shock, horror, awe, reporting company X has so much revenue and has paid zero tax or has paid very little tax, and what an absolute outrage this is, and why isn't the government doing something about it? Which uh, very often is is when you dig deeper, there's all sorts of stories as to why this is the case, but nonetheless, there, there it seems to fuel this continual sense of rage that somehow people are not paying their legal liabilities, um, their legal obligations in Australia, which very often is simply just not the case. What does that do to the general understanding of the tax environment, Sinclair? Well, it, 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 uh, because 
it actually detracts from tax morale. Now, tax morale is that the fact that people, I don't want to say voluntarily pay their tax because we don't voluntarily pay their tax, but people pay their tax as and when it is due because more or less they, they are of the opinion that everybody else is also paying their tax. Now, once you get into this, the, the, this view, this understanding of the world that somehow everybody else is not doing the right thing except you, this undermines what we call the tax morale. This actually undermines the, 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 the fabric of our society because we suddenly start thinking it's not fair, it's not right, other people are getting away with stuff, why can't I get away with stuff? And then we, 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 we create this environment where people start to think that it's okay to cut corners. And think about it as follows. If you're the only person ever stopping at the red light, or you're the only person who ever obeys the speed limit, or you're the only person who, who parks in the actual parking spot and not elsewhere, um, and everybody else is flouting the rules, after a while you kind of think, gee, am, am I the idiot here? Why aren't I flouting the rules as well? Um, and so the, the, the tax transparency report, while uh, the motivation might have been to actually enhance community uh, uh, um, understanding and appreciation and acceptance of, of, of how they well, how well, I want to emphasize how well the Australian company tax system works. Um, it was it was meant to, to emphasize how well the Australian company tax system works. In actual fact, it's had the exact opposite uh, impact in, in our society. I think of the tax transparency report as um, a pen light, but one of those little pen lights. And, and when you, you know, shine a pen light in a completely dark room, yep, there's wherever you, you the pen light will hit a spot, and then some of the light will diffuse around a spot, and then you're back into darkness. Yes. Um, uh, is that an inappropriate analogy? Um, uh, yes and no. <clears throat> it is an appropriate. It is an, an appropriate analogy to the to the extent that if a general member of the community was shining a pen light in a room and they can't see very much, that that's exactly right. But in actual fact. We shouldn't have just general members of the community who go about their own lives, doing their own things, interested in their own affairs, shining the pen light. In actual fact, we have institutions in our society whose job it is not to shine a pen light, but to actually shine a spotlight onto, on, 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 onto issues of, 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 of community interest and public interest. Now, the taxation system is actually at the very heart and core of our democracy. We actually have a situation whereby the government governs with the consent of the government. They tax with the consent of the taxed. Um, we vote for the parliament, and the you know the parliament does a lot of things. But in actual fact, the prime role of the parliament is to levy taxes on the population in order to give money to the executive to spend. And we have a whole long thousand-year jurisprudence and political history that has brought us to the point whereby the parliament taxes and the executive spends and the parliament holds the executive to account on taxation. We also have a media. And, 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 and I have to say, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not always a big fan of overly criticizing the media, but I think this one area of company taxation is precisely where the media 
have let us down very, very, very badly through an almost an anti-capitalist, anti-business perspective. So we have a very complicated <coughs> taxation system in Australia. Um, well, it's complicated all around the world, but, but the, the, the Australian taxation is complicated. Most people are bored by taxation. Their eyes glaze over. So we have a very complicated system, and it is the media's role to take complex situations, reduce it down to bite sizes, and then report what is actually happening. Now, one of the mistakes that the media make, and, and I'm going to say right now, the, the nine Fairfax newspapers, the Guardian and the Australian Broadcasting Corporation are particularly guilty of this. And I want to say the former Fairfax newspapers, except the Financial Review, they are very good on this. But most of the, the, the nine Fairfax newspapers, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and the Guardian are actually I'm going to say quite negligent, I think, in their reporting on company income tax. For a start, companies pay tax on their profits. They don't pay tax on their revenues. Um, some forms of company organization don't pay tax at all. So, for example, trusts are taxed at, in, in the hands of the, of the trustee. The trust itself doesn't pay tax. Companies pay tax at a statutory rate of 30% if they're a large company, and it's, I think it's 27.5% if they're a small company. Now, if you take the, the, the profit of the company and you multiply it, uh, sorry, and you divide that into how much tax they paid, you should get a number that's slightly different from 30% or 27.5% because of all sorts of other conditions which the federal parliament had legislated. It may well also be the fact that the company made a huge loss last year and they've carried forward their losses to this year. So there's always a very good explanation as to why it looks like a company hasn't paid 30% tax. And, and the media, unfortunately, do not put a spotlight onto that. They're always telling these shock, horror, or stories that are profoundly misleading. And I'm also afraid to say we very seldom ever have anybody call them out. Um, the only time we've ever had anybody call them out that I can think of in the last few years was a couple of years ago, uh, um, Mr. Alberici wrote an article for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and uh, Malcolm Turnbull, the Prime Minister, actually said, no, that is wrong. And he actually insisted that the ABC investigate that story and, and, and put out a correction. Now, we should actually have more of that happening more often. And it shouldn't be the Prime Minister having to call out the ABC and say, no, um, that reporting is not accurate. It should be the accounting associations. Um, if, if, if you are a large accounting firm and you are doing the audit on a company and you are signing off on the company's accounts and then somebody comes along and says, actually, no, this company is not paying any tax and you know full well that they are paying tax, you should be saying, no, this is wrong. Um, and dare I say it, the, the, the Australian Taxation Office should be putting out statements. So if, I don't know, the ABC accuses company X of not paying any tax, the, the ATO should put out a statement saying the statement is not correct. Because ultimately and fundamentally, if there is wide-scale tax avoidance, um, as opposed to, uh, 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 um, sorry, uh, evasion as opposed to, to, to avoidance. If there's wide-scale tax evasion, what you're really saying is that the Australian Taxation Office is incompetent. Now, I, I have many, many uh, 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 um, criticisms of the ATO, but incompetence is not one of them. 
Um, those people are not incompetent. They collect every dollar of tax that they are owed because this is their livelihood. This is their, this is their duty and responsibility to the Australian taxpayer to collect tax that is owed to Australia. And they do collect it. So why it is that not more people, not more of the institutions of our society, the, the accounting associations, the government, the, the, the tax offices itself, um, and other media, they should be calling out this, this false news, this fake news that we keep hearing that Australian companies are not paying their tax. Now, there was a, we should note that there were some things that, that changed in the, I think, the Alperici commentary or the news story sub, you know, after yes, the uh, material was, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, she's, uh, the, 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 the ATA, sorry, the, 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 the ABC did put out a correction. Um, and, and quite rightly so, but to be quite honest, they should never have published such a faulty story in the first instance. Yeah, but at the end of the day, that was, and being mindful of um, the fact that we don't have all parties on the, on the, on this podcast, yeah, it got, it got corrected, but, you know, there were, there were some issues raised about how the internal process of looking at that material now, the challenge for everybody is to get their head around um, some of the fundamentals that operate in company tax when they report on this kind of thing or when they're looking at this issue. Um, and I'm, the issue I'm grappling with, and you're an, you're an educator, Sinclair, so you know precisely where this will come from, is... How soon do you begin to introduce people to concepts of taxation uh, to, in the school system to get them ready to be able to look at issues like corporate taxation and other issues um, uh, with a more informed light, in a more informed light? Yeah, this that, that is actually a very, very tough question because... You know, there's always this balance as to what do you teach people in schools? What is a lived experience? Um, can you teach everybody everything that they ever need to know in an education system? And there, I, I don't think that you can. I mean, if, if, if school kids are doing accounting in high school, which I, I kind of, I would, if, if, if you've got the aptitude for it or you're the interest, I would recommend that every kid does some accounting in high school. Uh, to the extent that I told my own children, uh, don't study economics in high school. You can do that when you get to uni. Um, study accounting in, in, in high school. So if, if, if you have kids studying accounting in high school, you can get that across. But bearing in mind, not every kid wants to do accounting. And even if you're teaching civics in, in school, um, do you go as far as the you know, the gory detail of the tax system, because we are actually getting into some gory detail when you start thinking how much tax companies should pay. So I, I, I don't know that I would explicitly incorporate it into, in, into high school education, but that comes back to, again, uh, what I think the role of the media is. And especially what I think the role of the ABC is. The ABC, one of its functions is to educate Australians about Australia. And you can't go past the importance of the tax system 
if you want to educate Australians about Australia. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm just going to go and say, look, you know, uh, we have institutions. Uh, the, the education system does part of, of, of educating people about the, the world around them. Uh, the media and the ABC also has a role to play in educating Australians about the world around them. So I, I think better explanations as opposed to, to, to shock or horror anti-business uh, kind of stories that we do tend to see. It's a, it's actually a really, really challenging issue to grapple with. Um, and But, I mean, the media is one source and you can have uh, discussions about media articles at schools and whatever else. Um, I mean, when I did a... In fact, when I did a journalism degree at RMIT, we might have looked at issues related to coverage of business or whatever else, but there was no unit that we had to do that specifically focused on, uh, for example, business coverage. Uh, there was a, there was a, a coverage that looked at the, the coverage of professional rounds. I, I, at that time, I chose industrial relations. Uh, in part because Trace Hall Council was just around the corner from where the communications <laughs> Yes, just, just down the block. Uh, 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 just around the block, absolutely. So, you know, back in the, back in the day when um, the journalism uh, journalism faculty uh, was in the communications building and it didn't take that long to get to the Victorian Trace Hall Council, so it was rather convenient. But that even then, you know, that that, uh, that caused a bit of, um, still meant work needed to be done. But that didn't have me dealing with tax, Sinclair. It had me dealing with the politics of IR, the politics of business, the politics of getting resolutions mm. uh, to, to issues, uh, even to the point where you looked at how the Labor Party factions worked uh, at a Victorian level. Yes. Which was a fascinating exercise. Having a, I had a discussion with someone uh, who shall remain nameless over coffee, and my eyes glazed open when I was told, well, these ones are sent to blah, blah, these ones are sent to blah, blah, and we're never quite sure where these ones sit because their loyalties can switch between Camp 1 and Camp 2, yes. um, you know, depending on where the wind's blowing. You scratch your head and you go, well, that's a nice way of organising yourself. Um, <laughs> yes, but the, the point, though, is what you learnt at uni and what you ended up doing is not always the same thing, and you, you are not unique in that, but you actually made an effort to go out and, and understand how the company tax system works. And, and and I actually think a lot of people could actually make that effort. The And the very first place I would start is not at the ATO's tax transparency report, but just at the general ATO company tax pages, where they actually explain the formula. You know, you have revenue, you subtract off your cost of doing business, you get to your, uh, uh, your profit figure, you subtract off some uh, um, depreciation and deductions, you get to your taxable income, you add and subtract a few things, you multiply by 30%. 
um, they they actually they actually explain how the system works in gory detail. Now, if you've made the effort to understand it, even though you specialized in IR, um, other people who've specialized in all sorts of other things, if 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 you are giving information to the public, um, if you're an academic, you're a journalist, uh, you're a politician, whoever you are, if you are giving information to the public, you actually have a duty to make sure that you are educating them in how the system works first. And then you critique it. I mean, if somebody came along and said, look, I think companies should pay 40% tax and not 30% tax, I could say, okay, that's an argument I understand. But don't come along and say to me they pay no tax because I actually know that that is just simply not true. Um, Corporate income tax is the second largest source of revenue to the federal government in Australia. Australia is one of the countries in the world that collects more uh, company tax to GDP than almost any other developed nation. I mean, our company tax revenue raises a lot of tax. Um, and we should actually start off by, by acknowledging and recognizing that point. We, we actually raise a lot of revenue from the company income tax. The challenge, though, I mean, how we open up the debate on tax reform, which is where I guess this heads, because if the perspective in, in the minds of some people is corporates don't pay enough um, and they should pay more, then you open up the debate for changes to tax law, um, whether that constitutes reform or whether that constitutes uh, Rate adjustments, yeah. yes. <laughs> which aren't really which aren't really reform. To be honest, when somebody talks about reform, uh, I don't think they should mean adjusting a rate from ten percent to fifteen percent, for example. Uh, reform ought to be something more fundamental. Yes. But how do you then have a reform debate, Sinclair? If you start from the base where People have come to a view on something, but they don't fully understand the basis for it. Yes, well, that to my mind is is a serious problem because if somebody comes to me and says, "Look, I understand the system. This is how it works, but I think it should work differently," I, I we, we can actually have a we can actually have a debate about that, and we can have an informed debate about that. But when the person comes along and indicates either that they don't understand or that they are somehow being dishonest you know, and displaying some sort of sleight of hand or, or argument that I, I, I know to be false, um, then I don't trust them. And I think if, if you don't have trust in public debate, you can't actually have genuine reform or not, as the case may be. Because then these people are not arguing about economic reform, they're actually arguing about politics. Um, and and I, I don't think that that's always as helpful in, in sort of driving change as it could be. So if you want to say, look, you know, the, the rate should be 40%, not 30%, or we should tax uh, certain types of companies more or less, as the case may be, that, that is an argument well worth having. And, and the argument where we often see that is in multinational corporations. So we hear the argument, multinational corporations don't pay tax in Australia, or they don't pay very much tax in Australia. Now, this very often is actually true. They don't pay tax in Australia because Australia has has entered into a series of international agreements with a whole bunch of other countries um, that divvies up the tax base and divvies up the, 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 the tax revenue. 
Now, it just so happens that we don't get very much money out of that particular system because that is what we agreed to. Now, if you want to argue we should have a different agreement, that's a separate argument. And even as we speak, the OECD are trying to change the international tax architecture to something different. Now, that that is an argument, but we proceed on that argument where we actually say these are the rules. These companies are not breaking the rules. They are very often very fully compliant with the rules, and it just so happens that we don't like the share that we're getting. Now, if somebody starts off with that premise saying, okay, uh, we would like to get more, we want to change the rules. Well, let's have an argument about changing the rules. Um, But the actual outright criminal behavior where companies simply do not pay tax that they are eligible for is actually very, very rare. And And when there is actual outright criminal behavior, people are prosecuted. So, you know, I, I think we need to we need to start off with a a big dose of honesty in this debate, a big dose of explanation as to what's going on. And 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 one of the things that I also know is dear to your heart is that I think the media organizations have got to be more reporters than players in the game. You know, it's 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 not appropriate that say some media organisations are trying to to increase the uh, uh, um, the, the the company tax base or tax rate or, or tax take as as a campaign of their own. They should be reporting on other people's campaigns. So a few years ago, I had a bit of fun. There was a there were a couple of articles in the the then Fairfax media about how uh, companies weren't paying enough tax. I actually went to the Fairfax Media's uh, um, financial statements and had a look at how much tax they were paying. And, of course, if you just did the basic sums as people in the Fairfax Media were reporting, it looked like they weren't paying very much. But, of course, as you well know, if you go into the notes at the end of the financial statements, it explains exactly why they're paying that much amount of tax. And so it was uh, uh, losses carry forward and investment decisions and all these sorts of things. That is exactly what you expect and you know. But so the media, the, the, the Fairfax media itself was doing exactly what the Fairfax media reporters were condemning in other companies. Which is, which is a bit of fun. But of course, this, this actually highlights the problem is that we should actually start off by educating people how the system works. Yeah, uh, I think that, uh, that, that that's been an, an issue that I've had as someone who, and I haven't said this on podcasts before, as I'm someone who came across accounting and writing about it uh, completely by accident in October of 1995. Um and I've been uh, I've been dealing with it ever since, and it's always fascinated me how the coverage of issues in accounting regulation and accounts of companies and other things uh, are coloured, uh, whether it be through uh, errors made by sub editors who don't understand the copy, or whether uh, there's a particular angle that's been taken and run with uh, that that doesn't have much in the way of substance, um, you sit there and, and if you're me and you're reading material and you're trying to critically analyse it, and it just doesn't quite cut the mustard. Um, so there's a bit of education that needs to be done, but also um, 
is something else. I actually did, I, when I started to realise I was dealing with a specialist area, I actually went out and did a graduate certificate in, an, in accounting and financial management. Okay, yep. Why? In order to deal with the issues credibly, I felt I needed to get more training. Uh, so for me, it wasn't just a case of learning on the job and finding somebody who will uh, guide me through certain aspects. It was a case of getting something uh, under my belt that was going to help me deal with issues. Hmm. Now, in terms of people getting stuff under their belt and getting educated and workplace ready, we had an interesting announcement on Friday. It's caused a lot of reaction. Um, it's caused people to say that the government's conspired against the arts sector. Uh, you're someone who works in a university environment. You know what that environment is like. Um, what is your take on the government policy that was announced on Friday? So I, I think the first thing is that you've got to clear away a lot of the propaganda the government put out on Friday afternoon. So on Friday, the government was talking about making sure that more students do vocational education, that they don't do all these other degrees that, that, that don't lead to jobs and what have you. That is all propaganda. What the government have done is that they have uh, changed the funding that students pay to go to university, and they've changed the funding of what they pay universities to take students. Now, we have an education system, we have a higher education system in Australia that is very, very highly reliant on cross-subsidies. Up until this year, we had a very large cohort of international students who were cross-subsidizing um, Australian students. Those international students are now no longer coming to Australia in the numbers which they were able to come in the past. And so what has happened is the governments have changed the cross-subsidy model from international students cross-subsidising Australian students to some Australian students cross-subsidising other Australian students. And the cross-subsidies are coming from students doing economics and law, doing commerce and accounting, and doing humanities. Those students are going to be paying more for their education and that costs a lot, or they're going to be paying a lot more than it costs to educate those students. And those students are going to be cross-subsidizing students doing nursing and maths and architecture and engineering and stuff like that. So we've moved from a group of foreign students cross-subsidizing Australian students to a group of some Australian students cross-subsidizing other Australian students. Now, the way to think about this, first of all, is a lot of a lot of people are simply looking at the price has gone up, and they're saying, "Oh, if the price goes up, what will happen is fewer students will study those courses." That is not true. So there's something called demand elasticity. So if you want to buy something and the price goes up, you still buy it. So think of medication. If the price of your medication goes up, you're not going to buy less of it. You're just going to pay more for it. That is the experience of what happens with education. Education has got an in what's known as an inelastic demand. So if the price of education goes up, people simply pay more for it, especially in the Australian system where we've got HEX and fee help and all those things where you get educated now and you only pay for it in the far future. 
So what's going to be happening is people are still going to do humanities degrees. They're still going to do business degrees. They're still going to do law degrees. They're just going to pay more for it. And the cross-subsidy or the, the additional that they pay that goes to the university will be used to cross-subsidize other students. And that's what the government have done. Um, they've been very sneaky in sort of selling this as a, as a hit on humanities. Um, it's no such thing. It's actually making humanities faculties at universities more profitable than they currently are. And they will become more valuable to the university because they can cross-subsidize other things. Um, how do you read the play in terms of the politics of this? Um, the politics of it is that they are hitting the universities and they are hitting the humanities. Um, that's going down very well with government supporters and because they're observing the screen test. So you see a lot of humanities people um, and also the questions that were directed to the minister at um, the press club on, on Friday. And you look at Twitter, a lot of the humanities people are screaming and shouting and saying this is a vandal government and what have you. This is red meat to the government supporters. But in actual fact, this is a pro-universities uh, um, package because ultimately the government doesn't want to have to pay for the education, for the higher education system in Australia. They don't want the taxpayer to pick up the bill. So what they've done is those taxpayers, those future taxpayers who've studied commerce, who've studied law, who've studied humanities, are going to be paying for everybody else. So um, this is a pro-universities package but the current government can't package it as being a pro-university system. And so they've packaged it as a hit on the humanities. And a lot of government supporters, are they don't like humanities students because they're all communists and protesters and what have you, uh, which is, of course, not true, but that doesn't matter. That's how they are perceived. And so it's there's a lot of what I call fiscal illusion around this package. So this is a pro-universities package that's been sold as an anti-universities package. It, and how then do you, over time, change the way in which that is viewed? Because, I mean, the human, humanities are critical, let's be frank. You yes. know, it, it, critical to understanding it, how you know, Western thought developed, how Eastern thought developed, how uh, all kinds of things developed over time. You've got the history, you've got the... You've got sociology uh, yes. uh, sitting in there. Um, how do you change that? Because the discussion right now is politically charged. It is, it is. But bearing in mind we are in currently political charged circumstances. Um, in a couple of years' time, um, it'll all have blown over. I, I do think, however, the humanities people do need to make more of an effort of selling themselves. Um you know, uh, um, I, I actually studied commerce at university. I, I did uh, uh, an economics and accounting degree. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't do a humanities degree. And I'm the sort of person saying, yeah, we actually need people who do humanities degrees. So we do actually need people doing humanities degrees. But the humanities people within universities are, are terrible marketers. Um they, they, they kind of carry on like it's self-evident that we should be doing humanities degrees. Um, and and, and uh, so I think they should be selling themselves more uh, to the general community as being important, which they don't do. 
Um, so this might be a bit of a wake-up call to them to, to actually do so. But I, I don't actually anticipate we're going to have too, too many fewer, if that makes sense, too many fewer, um, if we're going to have a drop-off in, in humanities students in Australia. Uh, we we're almost certainly not going to have a drop-off in humanities students in Australia. We're going to have the same number. They're just going to pay more for their qualifications. And to a certain extent, that's actually a sign of, of confidence um, the government know that they can increase the uni fees for those students because most of those students can probably pay it back because otherwise the taxpayer will be on the hook for their education. So um, this is actually a good sign for the humanities. The um, Most people doing humanities end up getting good jobs. Most university graduates end up getting good jobs. Uh, this is true, this has always been true, and this is going to be true going forward. The The best investment you can make is in your own education, and with the Australian HEX system in place, um, it's actually quite a cheap investment. It's uh, um, HEX is one of the best deals you will ever get. So I often have people saying to me, oh, you know, they have to borrow all this money, they're going to have a lifetime of debt and what have you. You're getting an interest-free loan to build your human capital to get a good job, um, going to uni and finishing uni, let me emphasize, going to uni and finishing uni is one of the best decisions you will ever make in your whole life. And that that has not changed since Friday. That's interesting. Uh, I don't think we'll see Twitter quieten down soon enough, um, but it becomes, a, it becomes a waiting game. It becomes a... A way in which people uh, people analyse things. Uh, the other thing I've noticed, and you've probably noticed this too, it's probably worthwhile mentioning. Uh, there are people who ridiculed arts qualifications on Friday. Um, does that help uh, the discourse on this topic at all? Uh... No, probably not. Although I, I, I have to say I've, I've had a good, I've had a bit of fun uh, mocking some of my friends who've got arts degrees since Friday. Um, I've, I've, I've been knocking my own, uh, my uh, one of my own children is doing an arts degree at Melbourne University. I, I've had, I've had good fun mocking him over the weekend. But um, I, I mean, I, I think all jokes aside, um, any education is a good education, and an arts degree is a generalist degree. If if you have an arts degree, people look at you; they will know you can make an argument. You can you can read a complex argument. You can write. Um, you can think. These are all valuable skills. Now, unfortunately, there are so many people who kind of think, well, um, you know, only if it leads to a specific job that you've learned anything useful at uni. I have to say, most of the things that I've done, um, that I've thought about, that I've researched, that I've written about over my life, I didn't actually learn at uni. I've, I've read since I went to uni. So as a commerce student, I did one subject in tax. Um, I've actually written a lot of stuff in tax that I've, I've, I've picked up, uh, that I've gone out and had to learn myself after uh, uh, finishing my qualification. Um, so, you know, it's... If, 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 if you think of what you do and learn at university as the sum total of everything you will ever need to know, um, university is going to be a very bad experience for you. But I, I say to people, your, your university years, your, your, your university degree is like a driver's license. It basically indicates that you can learn, that you, well, in the driver's license, you can drive. Uh, 
But if you are doing your best driving on the day that you get your driver's license, you're going to be a bad driver. So in actual fact, uh, a, a, a university degree and a university education is a signal to people that you can learn, you can pick up things, that you, you, you have some intellectual rigor and discipline about you. Um, and, and again, that's what it comes back to. The humanities people don't do a good job of selling what it is that people can do with a humanities degree. It's, it's up to people like you and I who have to go out and say, you know, the humanities people actually make a valuable contribution. That's uh, actually a good place to uh, kind of wrap things up. Is there anything else emerging uh, from Friday's announcement, Sinclair, that you think is worthwhile people noting? Um, to, just to sort of reiterate the point that even though for a lot of people the price of going to uni has gone up, we are still nowhere near what people are paying to go to uni in North America. Um, and a uni education is still one of the best decisions. The best investments you can ever make in yourself is a uni education. And so I would encourage everybody, get as much education as you can. Go out to make your career. And there is the final bullet point of uh, the a lesson for this particular this particular podcast. Sinclair, uh, thanks for joining me again, and I look forward to having another chat with you in the next little while when uh, when another topic uh, blows up as this education thing did on Friday. Thank you so much, Tom. Absolute pleasure, and uh, thank you all out there for listening.